Generation Church, based in the beautiful Rex Theater in the heart of downtown Pensacola, Florida. Our hope is that today's teaching will encourage and equip you to be firm in faith, to fulfill the call of God in your life, and to finish well. Grab your Bible, open up your notes app, and let's dive in. My prayer for you this morning is that we continue and cap off this time of prayer, this 21 days of prayer, and, and that it has been as impactful as it's been for myself. Just It's always nice. You know, we do it in August and in January, and both those seasons of prayer seem to just give you exactly what you need to continue throughout that year, whether it's in January and you start your year to start off strong, and then when you do it in August, um, you know, you kind of get what you need for the rest of the year. We kind of call January 20, or in January, there's usually a fast that's incorporated with it, and so it's like prayer and fasting, and in August, it's just prayer, so personally, I kind of refer to that as prayer and feasting, and so it seems to be a lot easier to go through that way, but over, uh, over the last two weeks, and, and this week being the third week, we have kind of taken this journey along Matthew 7, and you know we've all read that verse. I'm willing to bet each person in here when it comes to prayers maybe even prayed this verse out loud at some point along your lives throughout prayer. And so today I want to kind of take a different approach um, to not only the text, but read another one too. And so I'm going to read uh, Matthew 7, our, our key text for this series. And then I also want to jump over to Luke 11 and read the same passage, but there's a story that's included um, in that passage, and so I, I feel like it'll give us something to hold on to and understand just what it is that we're talking about today. So if you have your Bibles, we'll start here in Matthew 7, uh, verses 7 and 8, and it'll be on the screen behind me as well. And it says this, it says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks it will be open. And then flipping over to Luke 11, verses um, 5 through 10, it says this. And he said to them, which, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he'll answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut, but my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him anything because, of, because he is a friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be open. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. Lord, over the next few minutes as we dig into your word, Lord, we want to Walk out of here with something new, God. All of our hearts are open to you. We ask you to speak to us. That wherever we are, whatever we feel like progression we're on or maturity level we think we might hold on to when it comes to prayer, um, we do have one thing in common, and that is you. We're, we're talking to you. So open up our hearts, open up our minds to what it is that you have for us today. And we give you all the glory in Jesus' name. And everybody said Amen. All right. So like I mentioned before, over the last two weeks and in this series, we've talked about exactly what this verse says when it comes to prayer, that we're asking and that we're seeking and we're knocking. And Pastor Roger kicked it off with, you know, that cool outline of like the six ways that maybe we're not seeing what we need to see 
by what we're asking for in prayer. And then Pastor Brian Oz came along last weekend and kind of talked about the seeking part and what that involves. And when we're believing for something and we're seeking God to see those answers in our lives and, and those answers to come to pass in our lives, what that looks like. And so this week, we're just going to continue right along and pick up on the word knock. So what does it mean? What does it mean just to knock? And so in our text above, we, we use the word impudence and, and that we're reading out of the ESV translation. Um, up until about maybe 48 hours ago, Pastor Luis and I were figuring out how to even pronounce that word. And so we surely didn't really understand what it meant. And so I blame it on uh, being from Alabama and that being a fairly big word. So uh, I, I, when I read that word, I went to other translations looking for a much easier word uh, to pronounce. But I love um, how it kind of pre- presents that. And if you read another translation of either one of these verses, um, you'll see different words used. Specifically in the Luke 11 verse where it says impudence, you'll see um, the word persistence, or you'll see uh, what I love about the NIV translation and how it says to this verse, it says, shameless audacity. Like, that's powerful, right? Like, when, when he's not going to answer you because you're that annoying friend that seems to think he needs more food in the middle of the night, right? He's going to answer you because of your shameless audacity. So let me ask you this morning is that are you approaching your prayer life? Are you, repro- are you approaching the throne room of God when you are praying, believing, asking and seeking? Whatever it is that you're asking and seeking for, are you approaching God with shameless audacity? That you're praying with such fervence and such respect for God himself that you are looking at, you're not looking at how big your problem is when you're praying, But because of the shameless audacity in your life, you're trying to show your issues and what you're praying for, how big your God is. To me, that's what shameless audacity means. It's what persistence means. It's what this strange word that the ESV uses means, is that we are not going to let any circumstance around us dictate our prayers and what we're believing for. That no matter what we face, how crazy the world gets around us, We are going to approach God with shameless audacity because we know that he can answer us shamelessly, that he can. He loves us shamelessly. He created us knowing everything that we're going to go through. Yet he still wants us to communicate with him in prayer. So are you approaching God shamelessly? I've always heard this phrase that there's nothing that you could go through that is too big for God to handle or too little for his concern. Like there is no guideline to how big your your prayer needs to be in order for God to answer it. Because at the end of the day, God already knows exactly what you're going to pray before you utter a breath or a word to him. And so as we approach this today and our topic of knocking, what does that mean to you? What does knocking mean? Maybe you've been locked in a room before and you couldn't get out or whatever the case may be. But what this implies and what I love Jesus bringing this into context to his disciples is that he took the discussion, you know, right before this in both Gospels, he was asked a question, Lord, teach us to pray. So he goes even further along the Lord's Prayer that we've all heard before, that if you grew up Catholic, you said every weekend, if you played any kind of sports, you probably said it before games. But it goes much more than that. Prayer is, is so much more than that. It's communicating 
with God. And so here we are, find ourselves knocking. And the word I want to focus on this morning is the word persistence. What does that mean? What does knocking with a persistent attitude mean? Where does persistence come in? So think about it this way. It's funny or interesting how Jesus uses the word knocking because knocking obviously represents a door and doors were created to be opened. You don't just put a door, I mean, maybe some strange hotels do. I don't know if y'all have ever been in a hotel room and it seems like there's this mystery door and you're not real sure where it goes to. You know what I mean? We went on a, a mission trip to Israel one time and there was a door that was next to a window that overlooked like four stories up in the air. So you're like, well, I'm not sure what this door's for. There wasn't a balcony or anything. Like you just open the door and you're like, wow, okay, this is pointless. But most of the time, doors are created to be open, right? Like you put doors on your house so you can enter and exit. Restaurants have doors so you could go in and experience everything that's inside of it. And that you could exit when you need to. Doors were created to be open. So that's something that we have to hold on to. But the question is, what door are you knocking on? When it comes to prayer, what door are you knocking on? The idea of knocking also implies that we sense resistance. After all, if the door were already open, there would be no need to knock. Right? So what would be the point of of filtering our prayers through faith if every door we were pursuing was already open? You know, I've, I've been kind of chewing on this thought Um, lately and just feel like I need to share it is that when we're praying and we're seeking God and we're knocking on these doors to be open, do the answer of those prayers change our world or does it change the world around us? Like I think if we have that perspective of faith when we're praying and we're asking and we're seeking and knocking, it doesn't mean that that we don't need to pray for ourselves. But what it does mean is that we need, there's a bigger picture. That when we have eternity as our perspective, that when we're asking, seeking, and knocking, that the prayers that we're praying, those answers aren't just going to change our lives, but the lives of those people around us. That is what knocking means. And there's a whole new story and a whole new guideline between that. So I encourage you to really study the passage in Luke, um, because that's kind of what it's teaching as well, is praying for the lost and things like that. But I love how it says that, that that if the door were already open, would there be need to knock? Yet Jesus encouraged us, even when you sense the door is closed, you must knock, then do so and continue to do so, and you will be answered. So have you found yourself knocking on a door this morning that maybe you've been praying for for weeks, maybe you've been praying for for months or years even, and that door still seems shut? I want to encourage you today to keep knocking to keep pushing, and to filter your faith, just like Pastor Roger was saying from Habakkuk. It's okay to ask questions. We've all been in that position before where we feel like our prayers are literally hitting the ceiling above us and falling back down. But we have to keep knocking. That is what faith is all about. I always say that that the beginning and ending of faith is this, is that the beginning is knowing that God is who he says he is. And the end of faith is believing and trusting that God is going to do what he promised he's going to do through his scripture. 
That's what we have to hold on to. And so, like I mentioned earlier, maybe you've been locked in a room before, or maybe you've, you know, been somewhere and the door was super heavy, or you fall for the signs where every time it's a push, but you seem to still pull, even though the push sign is directly in front of you, but you still just keep trying to pull. Um, I will say before I share this story with you that there's a chance that I've shared it before, but this time I asked for permission from my wife to share this story, but I think that this uh, really pertains to what persistent knocking really looks like. And so um, several years ago, Shelby and I, we still lived in South Louisiana, and uh, my parents, which is kind of funny that they're in Destin right now for this exact event, so it's maybe like the four-year anniversary of this actual story happening. But uh, my dad's company, his lumber company, has a convention every summer um, in Destin. And so we were thinking, like, we had actually just transitioned out of our ministry roles. We were jobless, and we're like, oh, yeah, free weekend at the beach. We're all about it, right? And so we get up at, like, 4 o'clock in the morning, and we drive from South Louisiana to Destin, which was, like, seven hours. And we get there. We go down to the beach for a while. And Shelby, if, you, if you're in here and you know Shelby, if there's one thing that she loves more than anything except for me, Jesus, and our kids, it's sleep, which... Because the age of our kids, she's not getting much of, right? And so, uh, so we, she, we go eat lunch uh, with my family and, and some of his co- my dad's co-workers, and she's like, hey, I'm going to go up, and uh, I'm going to take a nap. I'm like, okay, well, I'll come up in about an hour, and like any normal couple, we only took one key down to the beach, right? And so I call her, an hour goes by, I call her as I'm getting on the elevator, no answer. I'm like, okay, great, of course. Um, <laughs> and so I get up to the room, which happens to be the first door to a room outside of the elevator. So it's pretty much like that awkward, like, commons area at a hotel when, you know, there's a lot of people there, but hey, this is where you're living for the weekend. So it's like this weird uh, connection to literally everyone else on your floor. And so... Um, I knock on the door, I call her when I get off the elevator, still no answer. Um, I knock on the door, it's nothing. Uh, so I go back down to the desk, I'm like, hey, uh, my wife is a really sound sleeper, um, I need a new key to our room. And so they give me a key, I go back up there, put the key in, turns green, go to open it up, it's latched from the inside. And I'm like... Like, this door literally locks on its own by itself when you close it. There's no reason that you latch this door. I'll come back to that point, okay? So once it's latched, there's probably this much space open into the room, which clearly I could not fit through. Um, (laughs) I'm not saying that as if I tried or not, but uh, yeah. And so I call Shelby again, and this time I hear her phone ringing. Okay, so like I know that she's in there. Her phone's ringing. The way this room was set up was like kind of a hallway and then the living space of this hotel. And so I call again, still ringing, nothing. And so at this point, I'm kind of worrying a little bit because you're like, wow, what if something happened? And so my I started like freaking out a little. (laughs) And so I started knocking. Right. I not only started banging on the door as hard as I could, I was like slamming the door on the latch. And all the while, common space elevator, people are walking by, like getting on and off the elevator. So I quickly have the reputation of maybe the psycho ex-boyfriend or something. And 
trying to get in this door. And I'm like, what is going on? And so I really kind of start freaking out. And at this point, you know, this is going to be shocking to most of you because I don't have uh, much, I don't show much excitement um, (laughs) in my personality. And so I'm screaming at this point, yelling Shelby, like, open the door. Like, are you in there? All this stuff. And at this point, security gets called. And uh, so then I explained to him, hey, my wife's in there. I can hear her phone. She's not coming to the door. I'm kind of worried now. And uh, radio's in, and then a maintenance guy comes up. And I'm like, gosh, this is, could be on TV, I think. And uh, so he shows up with one thing in his hands, and that is bolt cutters. So then he proceeds to reach into that narrow gap and cut the latch and rip it out of the sheetrock. Why I did that, I'm not real sure. He literally could have just cut through it. But So then the door's open. So like any good husband, I run in there, and uh, she is sound asleep in the bed. Not only is she sound asleep, her phone is a half an inch from her ear wow. on, the, on the pillow. And I'm like, at this point, I go from like freaking out to really angry. <laughs> And I like fling the covers off of her and the air conditioner and how cold she had it in the room was what woke her up. So like you could all pull her aside, pray for her after church today. She's upstairs (laughs) on the third floor. But you hear what I'm saying when I say that persistence. Like I found myself in this moment where now I'm kind of freaking out, worried. Did something happen? And I like I went I, I think I'm pretty sure I skipped asking and seeking in this moment. Like I went straight to knocking. Straight to knocking. And I'm sure you found yourself in that position as well that maybe wherever you are along this progression, whether you're asking, seeking, or knocking, there is a, a level of persistence that you need to hold on to in seeking God. Because in this case, persistence when you pray is what fuels your faith to keep on praying. Because if you're not persistent, if you're not persistent in your prayers or continually pursuing God and what you're praying for that you quickly abandon praying for, then I'm willing to bet that you're not really that passionate about what you're praying for. And so when we are persistent, whether it's through business or whether it's just through the blessing of in favor of God's hand on our family, if we are persistent in that, we will see faith happen. Faith has to, be, faith has to fuel our prayer life. Ian e. Bounds said this, he said, With, when faith ceases to pray, it ceases to live. And so if we are not fueling our prayer life by the faith that we have, it will not live. And that is the moment that your prayers are filled with doubt, insecurity, fear. How many of y'all have been there? Prayed something where you knew like you're just wasting your time praying right now? He's not hearing me. Like maybe I'm not praying good enough. I've said that before. Like I already have a southern accent. But, you know, like it's not King James Version at all. Um, Like, we've all been there. We have our own reasons. We have everything that we've held on to that has kept us from praying. I've even walked through circumstances in my life, being a pastor and in ministry, and that happened in my life, and I choose not to pray about it. Because either the emotion that I have tied to it, 
or the feeling that I have towards it, I already am defeated in knowing or thinking that God isn't going to answer it. Maybe you found yourself there before. Maybe whatever that circumstance is, that you've just kind of given up on prayer. Something I've been telling our students um, in this worship series that we're doing, and what I feel like God has showed me through this series for our youth is that worship is what fuels our time in prayer and the Word. Because it's worship that keeps us grounded, but it seems that prayer and reading the Word is always based off the circumstance that we're facing. And so, might I add to this, that we worship while we persist. And so I was kind of thinking through stories in the Bible of maybe where this really speaks to what we're going through. And the the story that, that I felt like God was kind of showing me was a story of Jairus and his daughter. And everybody knows this story. If you, ha- if you haven't, it's in Mark 5 uh, that I'm going to read today. It's in a couple of other Gospels as well. But Jairus is, is a, uh, a leader in the synagogue. In today's world, he's a staff member, could be a pastor. And he finds himself in the most desperate situation with a sick daughter. And so I didn't put the whole uh, story in your notes But just to kind of give you that context, Jairus, he pursues Jesus, finds Jesus, and tells him that his daughter is sick. Please come and lay hands on her. So they start to leave. And then we know what happens next, right? Like the woman with the issue of blood slows down the whole process and the journey back. We don't know how far they were having to go. But we also know that the people came from the house to say, hey, don't bother the teacher. Your daughter's already dead. Right, And so I feel like in this story, we see the progression of our text, asking, seeking, and knocking. So I'm going to read a couple passages from that story. It says this in Mark 5, 22 through 24. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, persistently, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come lay your hands on her so that she may be well and live. And he went with them. And to skip down in verse 35, it says, While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any longer? So you see the progression, right? You know, maybe like with the story with Shelby locking herself in the room and all of that, like I skipped asking and seeking and just kind of freaked out. But I can imagine where Jairus has been. Like, we don't know how long his daughter had been sick. We don't know if it was something that just tragically suddenly happened or it had been a, just this season of sickness and, and this was where it headed. We don't know. But what we can assume is that Jairus, at some point in his life, had been praying about this and praying for his healing and seeking God in his prayer and, and even seeking counsel and all this stuff. He probably was doing all of that, and then he found himself desperate. He found himself in this moment where I have to do something that, or I'm going to lose her. Maybe you're there. Maybe there's something you're holding on to. Maybe it's not even associated with sickness, but you have to do something or you're going to lose it. 
You're desperate. What is that? What can you hold on to in this text and what can we learn from it? So we see this progression. But what I find so incredible with Jairus and the way he carried himself through this story is that he didn't stop or give up when he got news that his daughter had passed away. He could have just said, you know, instantly probably what I would have done if I didn't die myself in that moment. He could have gone home and been with his wife and his family that was probably there too. He could have been really angry at this woman with the issue of blood because she stole his miracle. But he didn't. He stayed there with Jesus long enough for Jesus to see what he was doing and say, we're still going. We're still going. She's only sleeping. So I don't know about you. Maybe you've watched people and you've been praying for months and months and months for God to move and intervene on your behalf in something in your life only to keep seeing people around you receive the miracle that you're praying for. Maybe there hasn't been any kind of evidence whatsoever that your prayers are even working and you're in this moment where you're just ready to give up and you're ready to see God just Maybe do something else. Like, let's do something else. I'm tired of praying for this. I'm tired of being emotionally attached to it. I'm like, God, show up, please. But yet someone else receives something. That is where and what I mean by your faith has to be alive if you're going to make it through that. Because there's nothing wrong with praying for the healing of a loved one or a certain job to be open. But what we also have to understand is that God still even despite of our prayers, has a perfect will for my life and your life. And sometimes our prayers just don't line up with the will that God has, even if we think that it's God. I've been wrong before. Shelby and I almost moved to South Carolina. Man, I'm glad we didn't. You know, and so it happens that way. And when we moved back to Alabama for... um, after we moved from Louisiana to Alabama, our pastor called us up. and was like, hey, I think you should, you should join this marriage small group. I'm like, okay, well, you know, we're in my hometown, but uh, if you're like me, my hometown was really not a good place for me to be um, in terms of BC and <laughs> living for Jesus and stuff like that. And so I moved back to my hometown feeling like I didn't really know many people. So we go to this small group. But in the midst of this... Um, we have been told that we were, it was going to be really hard to have children. And I've shared this story, or, you know, our battles and stuff with fertility and stuff like that up here, probably more than anything else that I've shared. But So we show up at this small group for the first night, and uh, we're really struggling with this not being able to get pregnant thing. And we walk into this small group, and... Uh, there's a couple that wasn't there because they just had a baby. Uh, there's a couple there with their brand new baby. There's a couple that's just found out they were pregnant and told everyone that night. And so we get in the car and we're like, wow, we're never going back there. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like the very thing that we're on our face and praying for time and time again, desperately praying for is happening to other people. And we're getting so frustrated. But can I tell you that God sent us to that group so, because he knew what was coming. He knew what his will for us was in that season. 
So that same semester, we go to 21 Days of Prayer. The day was on healing. And if you know Shelby again, I promise I'm, not, I'm, I'm really happy with my marriage. Um, <laughs> but uh, Shelby and I don't really like attention. And part of this prayer service was, hey, if you want healing for anything, go up and pray with someone on the prayer team. And uh, I lean over to Shelby. I'm like, this is for us. This, like, I'm sure of it. So we go up there and receive healing with this woman we had never met before. And that was the last week of prayer. And on March 11th, we found out we were pregnant. And so that, our prayers never remotely lined up the way it happened. And so I don't know what that means for you today or what it is that you're praying for. I know my story and our story is and how we've seen God move in this moment and, and the things that are going on in our lives. But we have to keep knocking. I don't know about you, but I would rather get an answer and keep knocking than no answer because I quit knocking. We have to keep knocking. And so throughout this story, and and Jairus did that. He did that very thing. He never lost hope. And so there's two things that I think we can pull from this story as we apply to our prayer lives. And that first thing is that persistent prayer keeps us rooted in faith. You know, we've been talking about this a lot already, but persistent faith keeps us rooted in faith. What does that mean? It means that no matter what we look at, our eyes are always on Jesus. Or what's going on around us, our eyes are always on Jesus. Why did Peter sink when he was walking on water? He took his eyes off of Jesus. He let the circumstance around him dictate the level of his faith. And the thing of it is, is that the Bible does say that the faith of a mustard seed, you can do whatever you want with it. But I come alongside of that, and and I've always kind of thought that the same seed of doubt can ruin everything. Doubt and faith will never coexist in your prayer life. Doubt will win every time. So no matter what we see, what you're facing, how bad it hurts, what you're going through, if we continue to persist in pursuing God, we will stay rooted in our faith. We will start to see things that we don't yet see. Through eyes of faith, we are rooted in the will that God has for us. So we have to keep on knocking. Hebrews 11.1 says this, that now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the, and the conviction of things not seen. That my hope is in Jesus even though I don't see the answer to my prayer yet. My hope is always going to be in Jesus even if the answer to the prayer that I'm praying is no or not now or wait a little bit longer, whatever the case may be. We have to stay rooted in faith. That's what this whole Christianity, this relationship with Jesus, our fuel to anything is faith. And if we do not persist in that, we will stay in that boat or that room or season where our prayers continue to hit that ceiling and come down because 
not, uh, it's not as much as the prayers hitting the ceiling and coming down. That's where our vision stops. We don't see any further past that. We don't see the fact that God could still be at work. Like Daniel, when he was really seeking out for God and things were happening and bad things were happening and, and it took 21 days for God to come answer it. And it wasn't that he was delayed. It wasn't that he had to stop and get gas along the way. He was fighting on Daniel's behalf. That's why he did not get an immediate answer. So how do we, we have to understand it. Maybe there's times that the answer is delayed because God is fighting on your behalf. That fuels my faith to think about that. God is fighting for me. He has a perfect will that will be better than the coolest plan that I think I could draw up myself. And the second thing is that persistent prayer aligns our heart with God's will. And I think Jairus understood that too because like I said, he could have just bounced out of there the minute he got word that his daughter had passed, but he stayed. And so I don't know what that means to you, but I know a lot of times if you're like me on this earth that we really try to figure it out ourselves. That we really try to paint this picture of our life and what we think God's will should look like for our life. And that's, that's the filter that our prayers come from. We're already disconnected from God if that's our perspective of prayer. Does that make sense? Like if we tell God our will, we're not going to start off very well, right? We're kind of praying out of a place of pride, not faith. And so we have to understand that persistent prayer aligns our heart with God's will, that we may not have the questions answered. We may not remotely see what it is that you're believing for happening in that moment, but we still have to persist. We still have to knock till our knuckles are bloody and until that door opens, because you know what? Doors were created to open. I really believe that Jesus would not have used the word knock if he didn't fully intend for the door that you're banging on to open. If he intended on that to stay shut, you know what I mean? Like doors through God are made to be open. And so we have to have that perspective and seek that perspective that our ways are just not God's ways. And Isaiah says that in Isaiah 55 verse 8, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither your ways, my ways, declares the Lord. And so that's where I want to be. I want to be in a place that regardless of what I see, I'm going to fuel my prayer through faith so that I can see God's will in my life. And so as the band comes up and we get ready to close, can I be honest about this verse a little bit? I used to not like it at all. <laughs> like I found myself praying time and time again, and, and maybe you've done the same where you're like, God, your word says ask, and it's going to be given to me. Or your word says seek, and I'm going to find what it is that you want. Or your word says knock, and this door is going to be open. And then it would always not happen. And if it did happen, it didn't remotely seem like the way I wanted it to be. So I stopped praying this verse. <laughs> and even when we were planning this prayer series and this verse came up, some of that feelings from the past and how I felt through this verse uh, kind of came back up. So I, kinda, I was laughing as I prepared it. But this is what 
I feel like God has showed me through this verse and what I want to close with today is that in our prayers and in our faith, what is it that we're really seeking when we're asking and we're seeking and we're knocking? Is it just that simple prayer of what we're asking for, that new job, to have a baby, more money financially? We've all been there. We all have our prayers. But can I bring this thought to you today is that could it be that what we're really after, the bottom line, what we're really after in asking and seeking and knocking is God's presence. That when Jesus is saying in this moment, if you just ask me for my will, if you just ask me for the door that I'm behind, if you just seek me to see what my will is for your life, and if you just bang on that door and knock on the door to my heartbeat and my will for your life, then what you're really praying for is that you just want my presence and my perfect will for your life. Because when we were in the perfect will of God, that's where we not only see the real answers that we really want to what we're praying for, but our will becomes God's will. When we open that door, I wanted to kind of do an illustration up here, but I didn't think I could fit doors up here, nor know where I could find just doors laying around. But uh, like when I picture this in my head, I picture like three doors and the middle door says God's will. But we have this. All we have to do is knock on that door and go in and we are going to be in God's will for our life. It is a guarantee and it is a promise. But yet we still choose either door on the left or door on the right because it looks more like the expectation that we have. We will never see God move in our lives. We'll never see healing come. We'll never experience the goodness and love of God if we don't go through the door that he is behind. Our relationship with Jesus is built on our pursuit after him. That's why we have faith. So I don't know what it is that you're praying for today. I don't know what, maybe you're just here right now today and you just don't know what to do. You've prayed it all. You've had people pray over you. You've prayed scripture. You've fasted. You've done everything. And it's still not being answered. Can I just encourage you, please keep knocking. Knock on God's door. Because I can tell you right now with the perspective of eternity that if we step through the door that God is behind, that we will have his perfect will and plan for our life every time, that we're able to look at our very things that we're praying, the good things, the bad things, being in the deepest valley or on the highest mountain, we're able to see God's will through it all. And that is where our faith must live, is in God's presence and his perfect will for our lives. And then we begin to see breakthrough in our prayer life. Then we see mountains move in our lives. I don't know what you brought in here today, but I do know God. And there's been times in my life where I thought that I'm just giving up prayer. Maybe prayer is just not my gift. But I can assure you this morning that if you are going to be a child of God, more than that, if you're going to experience God the way he wants you to experience him, we have to be in his presence. It can't just be a Sunday to Wednesday thing. We can't be a casual Christian. It's just not going to happen. 
And so as we pray this morning, I want to I pray for, for two groups of people. And with this whole talk in mind, and, and as we're moving forward, maybe you're just here today and you need this new ignition, if you will, or this new spark in your prayer life. I just want to pray over you uh, right now. So Father, I thank you. And if that is you, I just want you to open up your hands. Or whatever season you've been in, Whatever season anyone's been in, Father, you know exactly what it is. Let us not seek the answer, but seek the one who gives answers. Let our faith never waver for what it is that you have for us. Let us never lose sight that we need your presence. We, need your, we want your perfect will for your life. So regardless of what it is, Lord, I declare the healing that they're, they're, they're seeking this morning. I declare the restoration that they're seeking this morning, and I declare your presence over them with a revitalized vision, a newfound sense of joy and whatever it is, a new excitement to continue to pray what it is that they're praying for, because any door that you have anything to do with, you will open it. And that's a promise, God. And maybe you're in here and... and this whole prayer idea is new to you. Maybe you're not even sure that you have a relationship with Jesus. I want to give you that opportunity today. When you came in um, and you're handed an outline, there's a QR code or you can grab a connect card. And if you pray that prayer this morning, I want you to let us know so that we can come alongside of you and pray with you and walk with you. But I want to give you that opportunity to accept Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. So if, if that is you, I just want you to say this prayer under your breath, but the only thing I ask is that you believe it with everything inside of you. It's as simple as this. Just, dear Jesus, thank you for saving me. I ask you to come into my heart and to be my Lord and to be my Savior. I repent of the sin that's in my life. God, I ask you to lead and guide me. And from now on, I choose your door. I want to come into where you are and live in your presence and your perfect will and your unfailing love. And Father, as we go back into worship and cap off this service, Lord, we give it to you. Lord, we pray for revival. We pray for, for just this move of your spirit throughout our church as individuals and as, the, as generation and into this city, God. We give you this time as we stand up and worship. We give you all of our hearts and all of our minds. In Jesus' name, everybody said. Thanks for hanging out with us at Generation. You can connect with us on Facebook or Instagram at Generation Pensacola or go to the website at generationpensacola.com and from wherever you download your podcasts. If today's teaching impacted you, we'd love to hear about it. So please drop us a note.